Of dollars and cents, pounds and pence, and it sounds nonsensical, indefensible. This eventual but inevitable decline will be viewed over time as an abject crime of neglect. Now that's cause to reflect. Pause, take a breath. I ain't got no kids, man. I'm praying for yours. Take a left off of this road we've been traveling. Like the mob had the bing, it's all unraveling. Tomorrow's day, tomorrow's day, tomorrow's day. Yeah, it's a world of tomorrow's day. Welcome to where well-being meets art and where they depart. So I'm very excited about today's guest, Mr. Trenton Birch. Now, I, I see this as a bit of a wild card because I know Trenton from running a South African record label in London, having been a white member of the ANC, uh working with uh, artists like he collaborated as an artist with Maxi Jazz. He promoted concerts for Johnny Clegg, basically being around the block in the creative industries. But the reason why I see this as a wild card is because I'm going to ask you, Trenton, what you're working on at the moment. I, I, work in, I, work, I work in the cannabis industry, you know, from music to Just cannabis. To be clear, you're in, just to be clear, you're in South Africa where it's legal to do that. Uh, it's quasi legal. There are certain elements of the industry that are legal and certain elements that aren't. So we're in this in this grey zone in some spaces. Some spaces it's quite clear, but we're certainly uh, sharing similar situations in terms of frustration <laughs> that uh, other countries are sharing. But we are moving forward quite rapidly. You know, um, the essentially you know you can grow cannabis in South Africa for medical purposes, for export predominantly. You have to have an offtake agreement from an international company. Although you can, um, uh, you, so you need that, and then there's also a way of distributing uh, via doctors here by what's called a Section 21. Um, and then we have sort of quasi-legal cannabis clubs, which are in a bit of a grey zone, because as, as South African residents, we're allowed to cultivate and consume cannabis for personal use. Um, there is no trade allowed, so we, we follow the Spanish club model where people join a cannabis club as members. The cannabis club is a non-profit 
and then uh, cultivating members within that club cultivate for non-cultivating members, and then the cannabis is shared. That's how the transaction takes place. That is still quasi quasi legal because one of the one of the cannabis clubs is in court at the moment. Has been for about a year and a half, two years. Um, but uh, at the moment, that's the only kind of, in inverted commas, recreational market that is semi-legal. Um, hemp permits are also out, so we have 371 hemp permits out. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a minefield, but um, things are certainly moving forward, you know. But you're actually running a school. I am running a school, yes, yes. We are, we are running a, a, an education company, so we teach people about uh, cannabis and hemp, the full supply chain, um, anything from doctors to lawyers to farmers to... People in the rural areas, we literally cover absolutely everything. It's one of the, the most diverse industries I've ever been in, in terms of the, the market. You know, I come from, you know, uh, as, as you know, Brett, I spent many years in marketing agencies in the music industry. And when, when a client came to you and said, you said, said who's, your, who's your target market? And they go, oh, it's everybody. If it's the world, you would laugh at them and tell them to like rein it in. When people ask me that question, it is literally everybody. Uh, on our campus in, uh, in Johannesburg, we have... Um, we have a, an, an, in this particular class at the moment, we have an 18-year-old and a 75-year-old. You know, the 18-year-old is an Afrikaans kid from the farm. The 75-year-old is a black American from, I uh, forget the state he's from. But literally, the, when you look around the, 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 the spectrum of people in terms of race, sex, uh, age, it's culture, it's completely diverse. And I do, I do believe, hand on heart, that uh, within the next 10 years, there will not be a single person that any of us know that doesn't interface with cannabis in some way, you know? Let's get into this, right? Because you, you dropped the fact that you've been in marketing, the fact you're in cannabis now. And obviously, there's been other pods where we're talking about the dangers of drugs, when I've really gone into hedonism, escape, you know, in my past, which I'm quite open with. And it's so interesting to me. There's a, a couple of re reasons why th this is happening is because you... I've not seen you, you know, overload with drugs. You've always been a very get up and go when you needed money. You end up running a marketing agency, even though you were running a record label and you're a, an artist, you know, like almost left brain, right brain balance going on in you where, where you're a creative, but you're also able to go and be in the corporate world. I mean, the, the, the only time I've been in the corporate world for a year as an account manager at a digital marketing agency, after the, being burnt out in management, having a break, and there were complaints about the way I wrote emails, that they were so informal. You know, even that just basic. Yeah. So then you're dealing with cash flows, like for a, for a big company. You know, it's crazy. So this is crazy to me. And then we kind of reconnected after a while, and and suddenly I find out you're you're you you know you're doing this whole weed thing etc but can you talk a bit about your sort of philosophy with the cannabis like why are you doing it and how are you keeping an eye on the sort of motivations involved and then the people in your college campus etc yeah i mean you know essentially you know you bring up the left right brain thing i think it's a, it's a blessing and a curse you know i've been constantly pulled between you know my my business head and my creative head you know my father's an engineer my mother's, uh, you know, more of a left-brain thinker, so I have this hybrid and and found myself at times in my life pulled between the two, um, which which can be can be beneficial, but can also be a bit stressful because you struggle sometimes to know where you should be. Um, the I, I'm ultimately a purpose-driven entrepreneur. You know, I, I cannot sell ice to Eskimos, 
you know, and the reality is anybody can sell, can sell ice to Eskimos is a liar. So uh, I'm, I'm completely driven by purpose. Um, that's, why, that's why I was always attracted and involved in the music industry because I believed in its power to, to, to push change um, and, and, and you know, to give people a narrative and a platform to push positive sort of thought, although it doesn't happen as much as I'd like to see in the music industry. Um, but, so, but cannabis and hemp, uh, you know, I, I sort of fell into education uh, after the music industry, into creative media education, and um, found a real passion for using education or working with education to change the way people think. Uh, and the way we operate on this planet and cannabis. So essentially, cannabis and hemp uh, and education are my weapons as a as a change maker, if you like. You know, my my life is committed to to making the world a better place. The world is a complete fuck up, to be blunt. Excuse my language uh, right now, but the reality is is that you know th th we can sit around and mope about it, or we can get on and do something about it. You know, and so, so uh, I've never been, you know, I was super purpose driven in the music industry, um, um, even more, probably more purpose driven now with what I'm doing in the sense that, uh, you know, for, for can, you know, cannabis, high THC cannabis has huge opportunity for, for improving our health, uh, getting us off pharmaceutical drugs. So from a sustainability perspective, health wise, it's massive. Um, if you look at industrial hemp, you know, it can replace plastic, uh, you know, you can make biofuel. I mean, um, it's completely sustainable. Uh, you don't need pesticides. I mean, I can go on about it for hours. But essentially, these are things that are urgently needed. Um, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which are supposed to try and target hit by 2030, I read recently we have a chance, a 50-50 chance of hitting those. Something like industrial hemp can, can help move us forward uh, rapidly towards that space. So these are industries that urgently, urgently need to come online for, for, the, for the wellness of our brains and, and also for the wellness of our planet and environment. Can you talk a bit about what the benefit specifically, you know, you're using it as weapons. I, I, so hemp, I understand you can make loads of stuff out of like from clothes, but like the, the, when you're dealing with THC, you know, yeah. you you you're shopping at psychoactive material. What sure. in sort of layman's terms, what yeah. do you see as a, a massive benefit to people? So so there's obviously the, the the medicinal side, you know, with it being used for epilepsy, cancer. Um, I mean, you name it. You know, pain. There's a whole lot of medical uh, applications that can be used, and those are an un. Uh, it's uh, unarguable that those actually work, you know. Cannabis can cure cancer. I'm not saying it does cure cancer because it doesn't cure every type of cancer. It doesn't work with everybody. You're talking about but, oils, uh, are, right? Well, well, oils, I mean, you know, the vaporizers. I mean, it's not recommended necessarily to smoke cannabis if, you're, if you are sick with some other, other sort of ailment because it's not the most healthy way to consume cannabis. Um, you also don't get the same benefit that you do with oils and suppositories, etc., where... You know, you are losing certain terpenes when you're when you're combusting it uh, via smoking. Uh, vaporizing is also a very good way. Um, but I think what we need to remember is that so 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 there's that there's that whole side. I, I don't really believe in recreational cannabis, to be honest. So I believe in responsible use. I believe there's a site and a setting. You, you know, it's not for everybody, and it shouldn't be used at all times. Um, I'm not a heavy user. I've been using cannabis since I was very young. You know, to be honest, since I was 14. Um, that is now, you know, medically not so, such a good thing. We shouldn't really be using cannabis until our brain has developed. There's quite a bit of research around that. So it's not advisable for children to be using cannabis or youngsters below 20, 21. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's important to understand that, you know, you shouldn't operate machinery. I don't believe in people working <laughs> on cannabis. I don't believe in people studying on cannabis. 
you know, we have a no, a no smoking or a no consumption policy on, on our campus. That doesn't mean we can stop people walking up the road, smoking a joint and coming to class. That's life. They're adults. But uh, we don't believe that that's the best, the best situation. So it's important that we have to be responsible about it. And it's not just a free-for-all, you know. So much conflict coming up in me, right? Because it's sort of like, you know, we're, we're talking about where well-being meets art, where they depart. And we'll get into your artist journey as well, because it's fascinating yeah. about how you how you battled on and I watched that happening and, and helped when I could. But 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 this is so problematic for me because I'm just thinking about if I said to someone, look, uh, drinking at least three or four glasses of wine a week, I, I, I think that's a great thing. I don't recommend doing it every day. You know, have a, have a few Jamesons every Friday, you know, to celebrate yeah. the week or whatever. That's great. Uh, you're talking about altered states. So then I got into a place of, of, of seeing that the link between meditation and playing on stage and realizing yeah. that, that I could get to that old state through meditation that took me to the same zone. Um, and so I've been really a proponent of what the, the natural states, you know, even trying to zoom out and, and talking about the nature of thought and stuff like that. And and then obviously I've talked about my past when I've been uh, using drugs as escape and stuff. So although I totally hear what you're saying and, and the reason why I've got you in is because to have this conversation and say like it, it it's it, it's for me the realisation I talk about the human potential on things so that my classic is. Facebook in itself is not a bad thing, but if you write vitriolic messages to people, it's terrible. But likewise, you could put out uh, really beautiful messages or set up a community group or, you know, so it's 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 what we do with these things and, and the idea that things sure. are neutral. It sounds like at every point, there's a, a very strong reason uh, why this plant's serving someone um and the benefits of it i'm interested in from the medicinal side the psychoactive stuff going on what why is that helpful i mean it it depends you know you, you there there are I'm, I'm not a doctor you know so i'm a, i'm a cannabis industry subject matter expert i consider myself to be that but i'm i i i'm i'm a generalist i understand cultivation i understand the medicinal side but i'm not a, you know i'm not a doctor and i'm not a, i'm not a, a large scale cultivator so, um, you know, it, my, my opinions are based on, on, you know, a variety of different understandings of the value chain. Um, you know, so the, from a psychoactive perspective, the, I think it's important that we understand we live in a world at the moment where we are under tremendous pressure. You know, like, like you know, things are, things are not going according to how I would like to see them go. And I'm sure many people on this planet right now. And as human beings, we, we can only take so much mental pressure before we start to fragment and fracture and our brains start to, to hurt and, 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 and to some degree get sick, you know. Um, I think the psychoactive side of cannabis can help alleviate that pressure. Uh, it can help lift that pressure. It can help lift mood. Um, you know, there, there are people who consume too much cannabis so it can make extremely anxious um, so you've got to be careful with that, you know. Um, I've been through phases like that when, you know, back in the day when you were sort of taking whatever you could get cannabis-wise, you had no idea what the strain was, where it came from, and one, you know, one one batch you'd get in, you'd smoke a joint and you'd feel amazing. 
two weeks later you get a different batch and you smoke it and you com com feel completely anxious. It was like a roller coaster ride, you know. So from a psychoactive perspective, I think it's a, an, an amazing way to, 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 to take the tension away. I mean, I, for me, it releases tension. And also it gives me a different perspective. So I look at things differently. I frame things differently. You know, it helps me, it helps, it helps calm my mind, you know, because I have a racing mind. Okay, so imagine I'm coming to your campus and I'm interested in joining up as a student. What, what are you saying to me about what's going on here? We have a 12-week flagship. We have lots of courses, but we have a 12-week flagship course on our campus, which I can guarantee you now is the best cannabis course in the world. And that might sound arrogant to, to, to your international listeners who don't know much about South Africa and, and think that we're sort of, you know, at the what, what am I going to learn? But, well, this is the thing. So it's a, it, there, there are four pillars in the course. Uh, there's cultivation from seed to harvest, uh, all the way through from home growing up to commercial cultivation, which is quite a big spectrum. Um, there is a, a medical cannabis. We, we license all of our content in from the States via a company called Medical Marijuana 4 and one So it's all vetted, cited. Uh, and, and they've got a lot of research-based uh, information. So we teach you about medical cannabis, what it does with our bodies. And that's anything from practitioners and healers uh, all the way up to doctors that teach that content. Uh, we then have a cannabis business. So we go through the whole supply chain from extraction to security to testing to you know, marketing, the whole value chain. And then we have a, 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 a section called sustainability and wellness. Uh, what, what I can't understand at the moment is why... There are not more people putting the emphasis on sustainability and wellness in terms of cannabis because that's what it is. And we need to push that as an agenda. So within the course, you do futurism, permaculture, uh, food security, um, mindfulness. Every morning, our students meditate. They check in with journals. They do yoga once or twice a week. We take them on excursions. It is the most immersive course that you will find anywhere on the planet right now. There are, there are, we have 35 lecturers in, in 12 weeks. Um, you know, and you're increasing your network. And I know at the moment there's this massive push for online learning. Um, I have my opinions on online learning. I think it has its place. We offer online courses. Um, but I think that you cannot be contact learning. And the network and the peer-to-peer -peer learning that happens in our classrooms is completely mind-blowing, you know. So that's, that's the course. So when are you coming, Brett? Dude, I mean, look, it's fascinating one, one, because it's wild. Yeah, well, one, of the, one of the critical things here is that Globally, education is a complete disaster, in my opinion. We are still teaching people the way we taught them just after the Industrial Revolution. We still people in classrooms, and it's all about how much you can memorize. You know, I've, I've realized this, you know, I've got kids of 8 and 10 years old, and I've realized that the school system hasn't changed at all. My kids are, are thankfully in a Montessori system, which is a beautiful education system. Uh, so sensible and basic in, in, in its approach, but so genius. Um, but we are still teaching school kids to be, to be, you know, robots, to be monkeys, monkey see, monkey do. It's exactly the same in our universities. You know, the world is changing at such a rapid speed and we're not teaching people and giving them and equipping them with the tools they need to survive. So that is our approach in the education that we do. You know, we're trying to teach people to be critical thinkers, lifelong learners. Um, you know, I mean, I, I do a particular lesson on, on mindfulness and sustainability and understanding your purpose through what's called a Japanese philosophy called Ikigai. Um, you know, I talk to them about using bamboo toothbrushes as opposed to plastic toothbrushes all the way down to the, the lies that is told um, by, by many, many brands across this planet in terms of the food we eat. You know, I believe the food industry should be tried for genocide. I think it's a complete disgrace um, that, uh, that the, the food, you walk into a supermarket and, you know, 85, 90 percent of the stuff in the supermarket is just a load of shit. You know, it's full of chemicals, full of uh, uh, 
pesticides, full of flavorants, colorants, you name it, you know, and, and, and they, the, the food industry are responsible for that. Um, I mean, it dawned on me a few months ago, uh, or a few years ago, somebody said to me, have you ever thought about the FDA, what that actually means? So you've got this organization set up that is the Food and Drug Administration. They are completely, completely polar opposites in terms of what they should be doing. So if you look at the state of food in America, the, the FDA have done an appalling job of managing food because of the poison that's in the food, but then they manage medicine. So people get sick from the food and then they, get, they try and get better from the medicine. Um, it's a complete farce and, and, and corporate capture has, has taken over many, in many, many countries and, and pushed this Western ideology in terms of food and what we should eat. And essentially, I often, I often say to people, I don't believe we have disease. We're all being poisoned. You know, by the food we eat. So, so we, we, we teach a lot of that stuff within our campus, and that's, that's the approach we have. It's a much more, it's not just about weed, you know, it's not, we're not a weed school. We don't teach people to smoke weed and just to grow weed. We're teaching people to be better citizens and to work with, these, with this beautiful plant, which has potential to make a seismic difference in terms of the way the world works. Um, and we're trying to integrate people into this holistic system, you know. Okay, so firstly, I grew some plants a few years ago, and they weren't that good, so I'd, I'd like to come and study that. Um, because by the way, it did taste remarkably different. It's like I've grown veg in my garden, you know. Yeah. Same deal. Yeah. It tastes remark. Even though I'm not that good at it, it tastes remarkable. You know, it's like oh wow, this is serious. But also, <laughs> my cat used the 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 grow place as a massive litter tray as well. So I'm not sure how much uh, that, whether that, I've got toxoplasmosis help, or something. Uh, no, it didn't help. But it still tastes amazing. No, so that's the joke. But but the the serious yeah. is. I want to circle back, mate. You you were in South Africa before I met you. I, I found out later that you were a white member of the ANC. I joined the ANC when I was when I was fifteen. Go I mean, it. I was young, you know. So uh, you know, I, I couldn't be particularly active. So Mandela was in, still in prison, in right? Member. He was still in prison, um, and I joined another another a group called uh, um, Codesa, which was a sort of um, a movement for democratic change. So I got quite active with that. Uh, I think it was lucky I was young because I, I went through quite a lot of rage when I was younger. I hated. I, I grew up in, in Kenya, Nigeria, in the Middle East. So got to Johannesburg when I was like nine and had had a completely multicultural upbringing. And all of a sudden, I was stuck in this area just with white people and went to a white school for a year and a half and completely lost my mind. Eventually, my parents sent me to the only multiracial school in Johannesburg. Trenton, just yeah. to be clear. At this point, the ANC was still viewed as kind of like a, a sort of terrorist organization almost, right? Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, it was the middle of apartheid, you know. Apartheid only ended just after I finished school. So um, it was. we lived in a military state. It was completely militarized. I mean, what a lot of people don't realize about apartheid is that I always say apartheid wasn't a white thing. You know, it was, it was uh, controlled by a, a section of the population, an Afrikaans section. That's their first language. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then obviously you had the English speaking uh, white South Africans as well, who were guilty by association or apathy. Um, but it but certainly, you know, um, that the, the, it was it was not dominated by white people it was dominated by Afrikaans people. So, you know, I had, I had racism towards me as, a, as an English speaking white South African from Afrikaans people, you know, and then and then and then there's inter there's racism between different uh, tribes in, in the black population. I mean, I can talk about this for hours. So I don't want to digress too much, but it, it was very complex and very confusing. You know, and I found myself because of my upbringing and because of being into music and being super open minded that 
um, for, for, for many, many years of my life, I would be the only white guy in the room, you know. It's just getting a sense of your experience because obviously for, for me, this is like a, a totally different paradigm. And yet we hung out as mates and you had this crazy, you know, uh, th- this is like fighting for survival, right? You could see that, that things are fucked and this is not the way yeah. your country can, you know, this is not okay. But you go out on a limb at that point. Yeah. So when did you first get into music? And what, what did that look so like? So I always say that uh, I remember living in the Middle East in, uh, in a country called Bahrain. It's like a small island there. And my parents bought me my first radio. I think I was eight, nine years old. And I always say that I just never switched music off. I, com- I, I became completely obsessed with music from a very young age. Um, I was into a lot of UK bands at the time. What were your were favorites? Kind of yeah, I was into, I was very into bands like Depeche Mode, uh, Madness. Um, I got into a bit of sort of Bauhaus and Alien Sex Fiend, The Cure at some point. And then, and then I completely flipped when I was quite young and got into hip-hop when hip-hop first started. It's a small step yeah. from Depeche Mode to hip-hop, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, the thing is also when hip-hop first came out, it was very angry. You know, NWA, Two Live Crew, Public Enemy. It was sort of emancipation, uh, you know, uh, very Right, black. and you and were... It- I, I, and even though I was a white South African, I completely resonated with the message because it was, you know, it was anti-racism. It was, it was uh, black people in America trying to take a stance and to, to come out uh, as, as, uh, as citizens of the country. And I shared, you know, there were a lot of parallels in terms of what we were going through here. I mean, you know, the thing is, is, uh, you know, I, I mean, I was called and, and, and I hope it doesn't offend people using this word, but. You know, we used to use the the word, the, the derogatory word for black people in South Africa back in the day was we called people kaffirs. You know, no, I was called okay. I was called like a you white called... kaffir or a kaffir lover. You know, I mean that's how that's how pathetic it was. You know, wow. so because I hung out with, wow. with people of color, I was I was I was branded as this weird white guy. You know, white. You know, you know. I don't know. It it, it was quite it was confusing. I... But uh, I just that's just who I was. Maybe... You know? Was it the case that some black people were, might have been suspicious of you as well? Like, obviously, some I mean, people I, would embrace did, you, but did you have it from in that the, side? In the beginning, listen, I, I, got, I got constant comments from black people saying to me, oh, I've never met a white person like you before. You know, Can I, I ask a question, Trenton? People, you know? Of course. That, the first time that you go and approach that group, right? Yeah. Like, you're obviously going to end up in a conversation about what, what what the fuck are you doing here you know like like how what did you your elevator pitch at 15 what what was your answer um i i, I don't know I, I i don't think i needed one you know i think that at the time when 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 black people in this country saw white people making an effort obviously there'd be a suspicion at first but the minute they knew it was genuine I was embraced, you know, I was, I was respected for my opinions, you know, I mean, I remember walking into this uh, march in town, uh, I was with a Lebanese friend of mine who was a football player, so he was also quite open because he was, used to play in the townships, and um, so, so uh, we were walking towards this crowd, there were literally 10,000 people, you know, and we were the only white people there, and I remember walking in feeling like quite edgy about it, um, and people were super receptive, you know, and then I saw some people that I knew 
and they just took me under their wing and I, I had huge respect. The only time I ever thought that I was going to get beaten up for being white, I was in a hip-hop club and I was probably about you know, 700 people in there. I was the only white guy on the dance. I was dancing away with, with black friends of mine. And the next minute I looked over and I saw some guy stop and start staring at me. And I was like, oh shit, I'm going to get smacked in the face for being white in this club. Uh, and, uh, and the guy sort of came up to me and then before I knew it, I had three, four guys standing in front of me. And he looked at me and he just shook, looked at me, nodded his head and he just looked at his friends and he said, yes, look at this white boy get down in our club. And he shook my hand and he gave me a hug and he said, respect for being here, bro. You know, that was the only time I ever felt like I might get a smack. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was wild. You know, I, I went into the townships for the first time when I was 14. Um, I've, I've been going into the townships, you know, where the townships, for those of you who don't know, are areas where people of color were forced to live during apartheid. So, so yeah. if you went there as a white person with beef, you, you, you know, they're they're looking, they're they're like, who, who's this guy? But one thing you said, which I really want to linger on, is it was powerful to me, which is, because uh, I was overthinking that whole, what do you say to these people when you turn up, right? I kind of overthinking it because that's the mistake, right? But what the only when I'm, when I'm deeply authentic, and 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 being real. Actually, you don't yeah. need to say much. You don't need to do much if you're if you're really can, there and, and present. It, no. So it's yeah. really interesting. What, what, like, what, like, what, how, what? how do you say that? What do you say to them and all that? And it's actually no. Just be there and be like, they'll know. They feel it. Yeah, and also music. You know, um, I mean, I've 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 never really been apart from you know I was very young into into bands like I mentioned earlier. You know, when I when I got into hip hop, I for, for for ten, fifteen, maybe twenty years, I listened to nothing else but like R and B, hip hop. That's what I was into. And then and then we had an explosion uh, in terms of music in this country, where um, we had a, a style of music called Quieto, which is like slowed down house with this kind of rapping, chanting on top. And when it happened, it was like a, a youth explosion, and I became obsessed with it. And um, so, so you know, I could literally sing lyrics, and I, I knew all the tracks, and so and I could dance to it. And so, the minute I moved into those circles, within a, within a second, people knew that I was different because I got the culture. You know, I really, really resonated with the culture, um, and and that that was a massive opener for me. You know, mu music really pushed me into different spaces that uh, I wouldn't have been in if, I, if it wasn't for music. Uh. I think it's really important that if you come with the right intention, if someone doesn't get it, it's their shit. Yeah. But most people will get it. So because that, that overthinking thing in my head, it might be like, I'm going to this ANC thing tonight. Fuck, what am I going to say? You know, you could get into that and realize, actually, if I'm going with the right intention, it's going to be fine. And anyone that challenges yeah. that is just doesn't get it. And they'll be in a minority. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we live in a world where we, we've lost integrity. You know, we, we have these two lives. We have our digital life, which, you know, a lot of people live a fake digital life. And then we have our real life. And I think that people project uh, this fake life and try and put it into their real life. So I think it's a, it's a complex time for identity and, and how we behave. I, I, you know, and, and the reality is, is that there are instances where you will be integrous and you will be um, open and, and that will make people feel uncomfortable because, because they are not the same. One thing you said, just said about you could be in your truth present and it pissed people off. One uh, sort of poem that I really connect to, Marianne Williamson, she talks about 
not dimming your light for other people. Because mm. of that. Don't get put off. You be your light. And that that's the challenge. Because yeah. it's interesting. When you get into socials, right? This is so relevant to an artist's life. But I, I, I think that the one thing I'd pick you up on is don't be different on social media. Why yeah, why are you being different there? Why and and also yeah. why are you judging your worth by where how many likes you got? Like the whole point of the art, the truest art, and and it's come up time and time again for me because I've got into this trap with an artist who had the best iteration of her music and I didn't think it was cool enough, so I sent her to loads of cool producers and it was shit because I, yeah. I, I was judging it not by its own merits. The fact is, is that you can only create art when you know that that's what you should be creating at that moment and you don't give a fuck what people say. The, the music yeah. industry is in a very and strange over. place at the moment, you know. It's become very vacuous and uh, I'm going through a bit of a weird, you know, I've been in music, as you know, my whole life, you know, and, until sort of cannabis took over. Um, and uh, I, I watch it from a. I mean, listen, I, I miss live music immensely. We don't we don't get enough live music down here in South Africa, um, and there are elements that I miss. But I also I've also realised that a, a massive part of the industry is just a shit show. You know, it's it's just social media bullshit. It's everyone trying to do this sort of shock tactics. Uh, everyone sounds the same. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's in a bit of a state at the moment. You know, I think it'll wash out over time as we realise how vacuous some of these artists are and that they're. they're fleeting moments of bullshit uh, don't really last that long but um you know the true artists as you say survive on being on being authentic and that might mean that they lose people on the way and their audience shifts but uh you know you, you if you want a life a lifelong career and you don't have authenticity you won't last five seconds in my opinion you know there's sure. independent acts so, 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 doing what, we, yeah, what we've sure. been doing we, we've only worked in the independent industry and I don't yeah. believe that that's corrupted. Someone asked me when they find out what what do you do record label. Okay, are there? It asked me a really interesting question. Are there any rock stars anymore? And I was like Ed Sheeran. The only reason why Ed Sheeran's a rock star who could sustain it is because he did two hundred and fifty gigs a year for ten years, staying on people's sofas. Yeah, yeah. and he still then yeah. played arenas with a mic and an acoustic yeah. guitar. So yeah. Ed Ed Sheeran is one of Lionel Richie, maybe. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a game. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, there aren't many. There are. There really aren't. The thing is with the thing is with Ed Sheeran. You know, I had the I had the privilege of interviewing him um, a few years ago. You know, for the the school that I'm involved with called Bridges for Music, and he was such a ground. Can you say student, a bit about you know, that, was... Trenton? Say a bit about yeah. Bridges for Music. So so yeah so so Bridges for Music um, is a non-profit that I'm a founding member of. Um, it was the idea of a, a Spanish friend of mine called Valentino Barrioseta. He was uh, he was actually from Spain and spent some time in Ibiza working in Clubland and got sick of it and was really inspired by the, the township sound here. So he had this idea to start this nonprofit. I met him very early on and I, I joined forces with him to build a school in the townships. Um, so we've had you know Skrillex in there, Richie Horton, uh, you know Black Coffee. I mean you name it, all kinds of different people from around the world and. Um, we teach we teach youngsters from the townships who are who show potential talent in the music industry about entrepreneurialism, uh, mindfulness, and obviously how to produce. Um, so that's why I got to, I got to interview him, you know, and he was just such a humble human. Um, and uh, and and you realize that uh, 
it, it takes a certain character to stay at that level without, you know, falling off the wagon like, like many rock stars do, you know. Okay, so basically the reason why I've always avoided the corporates in the industry is that I knew that uh, however good that first record is, you know, that the, the, the corporates are buying into a, a fan base you've already built, you've basically proven a market, and what they're yeah. going to do is expand the market on steroids. Yeah. But they're going to stick half a million quid into you. And when you get to record two, they go, okay, you owe us half a million quid. You're going to do exactly what we say. And if you yeah. challenge them, you'll get fucking sued. Or you lose yeah. your artist name or whatever it, it is. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Dropped and, and it's fucked if you're dropped. The people you call rock stars slept on sofas and played music as a rebellion because they didn't want to get a job in the 50s, yeah. 60s, right? They, they didn't think yeah. it was a career. Yeah. The only rock star was Elvis and no yeah. one was going to be Elvis. Suddenly you've got Stowe's, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, you know, you name them, right? But they yeah. never thought it was a career move. They just didn't yeah. give a fuck. Yeah, they, all exactly. they cared about well, was they, they play, play music. All they cared about was music. Yeah. Everyone, all yeah. of them, all are fucking. They weren't. They weren't those... trying to be stars, you know. Yes. They were just, so they isn't were just, that interest? Isn't that in, yeah. isn't that interesting? That that yeah. that Ed Ed Sheeran wasn't, as far as I'm concerned. You know, like, but yeah. there's a hell of a lot of that going on, and that's the entertainment industry. And I separate I the entertainment industry from the music independent music world the conundrum is even independents want to make money out of it so dude this is the question right you're still an artist you still make music you've got two kids and a missus you've got a cannabis school you've got a, a charity school you know and 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 but you tell me about that how come through all the permutations of the last 15 years that i've known you through all of it are you still making music? Um, the truth is, at the moment, I'm not making a lot of music. You know, it's it's very rare That's I actually do a music answer. session. <laughs> just to, yeah, it's um, it's just a time thing. You know, I'm 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 in I'm still in startup land with this with this business, and it literally takes 16 hours a day out of my time. So what I what I have done is been DJing a little bit. You know, I, we have these events that we run, and I I play tunes, so that keeps me in touch. That is so the, tell that, me about, in answer to your question, that, that, that is yeah. the only part of my life that is missing right now is actually making music. I, st I tried uh, about, about three months ago, I started working on a few tracks with a producer friend of mine. Um, and I just, I just, you know, the, 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 I, I, I'm a human being that has to, I mean, I have to make music in my life. If I don't, I start to get anxiety. And I, and I have that anxiety right now because I'm, I know that as a creative human being, I'm not fulfilling my creative potential. All of my creativity is going into my business right now. Um, and we're doing some very innovative, creative things. But uh, it is eating. I always, I always say that if you're an artist and you leave art, um, if you're a true artist, it will, it will grow a hole in your soul. And the longer you leave it, the bigger that hole will get. So right now, I have a hole growing in my soul. Yeah, no, I did it. Huh? Dude, it's so inspiring. And I and, yeah. and, and and let me big you up a bit because, dude, you are inspiring to me. And and the reason why is because it's so rare to have that left brain in the artist field as strong as you had, but also not be a bullshitter. Yeah. You followed through with your plan. Might have taken a bit longer. Of course it did. It's complicated shit. 
And at the same time, you're sustaining a relationship with a beautiful person who you were with a relationship back then. You've got two yeah. kids with her. And, and I think the only reason why you've got that is because you're not full of shit. You did follow yeah. through. Yeah, I mean, I always say a good idea is nothing without execution. You know, uh, I've had friends or people in my life who have just splurged ideas all the time and it got to a point where they just did nothing with them. And eventually I was like, I'm not interested in your ideas anymore. Sorry, one more thing is I wanted to balance all this positivity with the fact that you've been deeply anxious. You've really struggled with what I've seen is, is the nature of thought, which now I can see you're, you're much more comfortable with. But at that time, you'd give yourself a hard time that you're two years behind the plan. And I'm standing there going, mate, it looks like you're doing well. You've got, actually got the house now. You know, or, you know what I mean? It's like, so I did see that you were overthinking. Can you talk about that? But when it was marketing agency, record label artist, like, of course, yeah. you know, that anxiety, let's talk about if you're, if you're comfortable to talk about that, that those kind of thoughts, I think it's interesting to see inside your head at that point. Yeah, it, it, it's it's difficult. You know, I, I I ended up running an Omnicom agency. Um, they're they're a big marketing group. They own like a thousand agencies worldwide. And in the last two three years in London, um, I, I did a freelance job for them. And a long story short, I, I took over as the MD. And at the time, I was still making music, but I, I had to keep it fairly quiet, you know, because people people don't understand, especially in somewhere like the UK and America, where um, you know, in South Africa, you, I'm in a developing economy, so you learn to multi-skill, multitask. We survive, we hustle, we do a bit of this, a bit of that sometimes. Whereas it's very I, common, dude. It's very common in the UK that that you can't be good at more than one thing. Completely, we've got oh, this weird judgment. Completely, completely. Yeah. So, so he so can't I be that good if he does. You were really good. You were really good. Yeah, so I, I kept my artist thing very quiet while I was running this agency, and then the one day I had to print something out. And for some reason, I forgot it on the copy on the, on the photocopy machine. And my new business director came to me, and he walked into my office in his suit, and he just looked at me, and he grinned at me, and he smiled, and he just put this paper, and he said, "I think you might have left this on the printer, and it was some contract or something." And then he came back to me the next day, and said, "Yo, I've been checking out your music, you know." Luckily, this guy was a really really nice guy, and him and I actually became friends, you know. But uh, I was like, you just can't say anything to anybody because I'm sitting in a boardroom one minute with a suit jacket on talking about marketing strategy, you know, P&L, like the projections. And then, you know, on the weekend, I'm, I'm on stage, you know, with a beer in my hand, like in front of a crowd going mental, you know. So it was a completely bizarre existence. By the way, at this point, I just want to cite the fact that you played on a massive stage at the World Cup, right? When South Africa is to the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, You're yeah. You're on a fucking stadium stage. You know, moments like that, and, and you've done yeah. that. Carry on, carry on. Yeah, no, there's been some amazing moments. But I, for, for many years, I had to keep my, my, my music life completely separate to anything I was doing to make a living. I mean, I was navigating and working. I, you know, I worked on Glastonbury. I worked on V Festival. I worked, uh, you know, I, I worked uh, with Carling on all their, their things. I worked with some really creative agencies. So, Did you, know, you think it was over at that people. point? Do you think you were being blown well, off course? Like, oh, shit. Um, I'm not doing there were times. You know, like, there, were, there, like... there were times, yeah. There were times when I got panicky where I was like, fuck, what am I doing? I'm working for these agencies. This is not where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be making music. 
but I can't make a living out of music yet. And so I, I went through the same challenge I think many artists go through. My, my, my thing was, whatever I do, I have to do 100% uh, to my best ability. So, you know, I could have gone and got a job in a fish and chip shop or a pub, you know, and then, and then no one would have given a shit whether I made music. But I just thought that if I'm going to be here in London where I'm at the epicenter of the music industry, I love the music industry, I love, I love live music, I love, you know, all, all elements of it. I mean, there's things I hate about it, but I, most of it I, I, I love. And I thought to myself, if I'm going to be here, I want to learn and connect to as many people as possible. But, you know, when I, when I first started out in the music industry in South Africa, I, I worked in, for, uh, for concert, concert promoters, you know, before I became a promoter myself. And I remember running shows for all, all kinds of artists. And every time the artists would arrive, I'd be like, that's where I should be, you know. But I would rather be working on the production um, than working in something completely different, an insurance company or in a call center. So I always thought as long as I kept close to music, it would help me a, a, as an artist. And I managed to find a, a weird balance for most of the time, you know. But there were times when it caused me a lot of anxiety, not, not focusing more on music, you know. And, and, I, and I, I'm, it causes me anxiety now that I'm not making music. Dude, I was standing on the side of the stage at the forum, Kentish Town Forum, with Johnny Clegg on stage. You'd promoted yeah. the gig. The fucking place was rammed. Yeah. And you'd supported him. But you yeah. supported him as a byproduct of the fact that you put on this legendary... Yeah. South African artists that you really believed in. But all those skills, man, it's all related. So if you do need to go off there to sustain some income, relate it to what you're doing and also the gift of facilitating these artists. It's funny because when I interviewed Ed Sheeran, he said to me, if you're an artist, you should never have a plan B. In fact, no matter what you do, you should never have a plan B. Because if you have a plan B, it does it. It means that you're you're not focused and you're not committed or you're not uh, confident in your plan A. Now, while, it's while, similar. I, while, while I agreed with that to some degree, yeah. in South Africa, I was like, we need two plan A's here because you know this is a developing economy. It has the ups and downs. You know, you, I also don't believe in being a poor artist. You know, artists would always be like, there, there seems to be some gallantry in being like completely broke, sleeping on people's couches, trying to make music. I'm like, well, why would I? Why would I do that? You know, when I can earn money, and 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 use that money to fuel my art, um, and I know it's a very different mentality because obviously, you know, growing up in Africa as opposed to growing up in somewhere like the UK where you have the dole and you have a system and a, and a cushion essentially, you have a different mindset. You know, whereas you know, for, for, from a, from an African perspective, we are survivalists. We, you know, our mindset is we have to survive. You know, I've, I drive out of my my my, my door and. There are people begging on the side of the street, you know, and, and I see poverty all around me. So we don't have that cushion here. So, so to a degree, you, you always have a second plan A or a plan B, which I'm not saying is a good or a bad thing. You know, I mean, I think, I think if, if, if I'd have grown up in a different environment that was a bit more supportive in terms of you know, knowing that, you know, if you go down, you don't end up on the street. So, so yeah. I think it's two perspectives. So the Ed Sheeran model was all the way through his 20s when we're all not we don't know what we're going to do with life so yeah. i was partying playing drums setting up a management company you know but but didn't really know what the fuck i was doing essentially so he's kind of doing that in art staying on sofas and earning minimal bucks and surviving a bit learning his trade so yeah. he's thinking i'm doing this so when i was a drummer who switched to management, I decided I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in that life. It's not right for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then you look at how do I still play drums 
and enjoy it and and carry on doing what I'm doing. Because the other thing that I realised a few years ago, if someone comes to me for help in the industry as an artist, I'll ask them, the first question I ask is, if you never made any money out of this, would you still be doing it? And if they say no, I tell them to fuck off. Yeah. So because I still play yeah. drums, really, I'm serious about yeah. drumming because I fucking love it. Yeah. I keep my chops up. I do like technique practice because I fucking love it. And it's meditation, right? Mm. But but mm. so so I'm that guy. I, I need to do that. So that's what I need to work with as an artist. But what I was I was challenging you because I was saying you're taking a different stance, which is. I also want a family and I don't want to mm. struggle for money, but I'm still going to be an artist. So then you're doing it on your own terms. So you're yeah. not following the Ed, Ed's the all or nothing. I'm just fucking doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. You're like, I kind of still want to be with my woman and have kids and stuff, which by the way, is still astounding that you do all this stuff. I don't think people understand. Like for me, I, I'm mind blown by you because my default is, can I have a, a couple of hours off if I can, and then and then have to work at night or you know, but but you're like, yeah. come on, bro, bro, come on, let's not fuck around, you know, you're very much like that. Which yeah. then I saw the stress of that because part of it is the pressure you put on yourself. You know, be, being being yeah. a creative. I, I mean, I I think being being a creative and anyone coming into the creative industries now is a terrifying time to start. With everything that's going on with AI, you know, and and this content generation, uh, learning language models, etc. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how that develops uh, over over the next few years. But I think ultimately, you know, the thing is, is we, in the music industry, basically everybody at school wants to be a rock star, yeah? or a or a, a music star, whatever it is. Is there's a large volume of people that, that see it as this glitz and glamour, and and then by the time you get to your late twenties. Uh, early 30s, that's when it normally separates, in, in, in inverted commas, the men from the boys. And most people, I think, realize at the end of their 20s that uh, the music industry might not be for them. They might not have the, the, the willpower. They might have f started to understand the ups and downs and the challenges. But it's the people who push past that, who are still making music in their mid-30s and their 40s and their 50s. Those, for me, are the true, true musicians. You know, like you, like you are a musician. You, you mate, you play drums. Well, like you, you do, still by the way. Drums, you know? Like you, like you, because you're you're down on the fact you're not doing art right now. But I fully know that you're gonna always create art. Completely. I, the good thing about you're, the you're, next you're album like, that what, I do, late 40s. I will. Yeah, exactly. I will do another album. The good thing about the next album is I will do what the fuck I want. Exactly. I don't care what anybody says. I will put. I will just put out whatever I want because it'll be an, a complete. Um, uh, opportunity to be whatever I want. I won't have to worry about selling albums or playing stadiums. Or so it'll be interesting to see what happens creatively from that process. You know, I've got tracks I've already written, like demos, and because but, uh, Dave, that will be quite liberating. When, you know, when we were working together, you know, Craigie Dodds came on board. So if you don't know Craigie Dodds, Google him. Right. So your eye on Craigie is like this guy. He's up there. He can he can help us, you know, and 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 that's where our minds were at back then. Who's yeah. gonna help us get this out there and climb the ladder? And and Maxi Jazz is featuring on uh, uh, what's it? Uh, was it? Don't you worry. No, tomorrow's it day. was uh, uh, tomorrow's day. Tomorrow's day. Yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah. giant leap. Trent and Free Radical. Love that record. But but li yeah. listen, like 
we were there, weren't we? Yeah. I wanted yeah. that. I was a green manager. The best thing I could do is have a hit record, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's where our our heads were at. But it, it's it it's it's not why we were doing it. Because deep down, we just yeah. believed in putting art out there, you know. Yeah. And the reason why I got into yeah. management, the reason why I got into management was so sincere. I couldn't. I was so shocked by now Grammy Award winners that I was playing with yeah. now yeah. sitting in a room knowing they're special, wondering when the next rehearsal, not even considering when we're next meeting up to do a rehearsal. Yeah. Are we going to do anything else after today? And I was yeah. visibly shocked. Is anyone going to book a gig? And they're like, oh, you, you, yeah, you could be good at that. That was my insight into fuck. These guys need help, and they're way more talented yeah. than me. But yeah. but but, uh, the center of them was the music, only the music, and that that's the same now. So when yeah. I ask people who I know who, how are you keeping safe? They like mm. it's the music. I think we've covered a lot of ground, mate, to be honest. We started with why cannabis is great and now we've ended about the artistic journey. It's brilliant. Yeah, I Have think, you got I think if, if I yeah, I think if I my, my sort of parting shot is that, you know, I, I, I'm in a I'm in a weird space at the moment. Uh, and I digress slightly and I know we don't we're not gonna go down this rabbit hole now, but you know, the the world is changing very rapidly and I think that the you know, to to to, to a large degree I, I look at I look at the world and I go right. Imagine the world was a brain, yeah. Like so, look at look at the world and as a as a mind, as a brain, um, and how how healthy is it? Uh, well, it's not. You know, it's it's mentally ill. Um, I would hate to have a brain that looked like the world because I'd be in a pretty fucked up space and state, and that's where we're at right now. And I think what's important, more important than ever before is that every single human being needs to start changing their behavior and making a difference, you know. And that is something that I, I talk about proactively uh, at every step of my journey because I'm afraid for my kids' future. And I'm not, I, and I'm not, a, I'm not a, a negative human. I, I'm an, I am an eternal optimist. Um, but if we don't change our behavior as a human species, we are fucked. You know, I, 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 and, I, and I, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I, so there was a guy, a futurist I was listening to the other day, and he said, this is you know, with AI, etc. This is not an arms race. This is a race to suicide. And the reality is, is if we don't change, and if we don't start to work together and actually embrace all of these things that we've been talking about for years, about, you know, you know living a more healthy existence, you know, mindfulness and if we don't if we don't get that into the mainstream and get and get people on mass to start changing the way they work we're 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 in big trouble you know so that that is i guess the takeout i would like to leave from this is music and art and cannabis and things like that are amazing connecting tools they're amazing opportunities for us to feel and to 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 look at the beauty of the world because they are you know having a musical experience going to a gig to a, and and singing along to a song you like is a completely out of body experience you know uh, in, in the same way uh, cannabis can be you know so I think that we've got to use these new tools and these well not new tools but these tools that we have to 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 make the world better and and if anybody listening to this you know can go home and make a small difference essentially every difference you make in your personal life is changing the universe uh, and that is the world that I okay. want to see.
So I've got two things to say because I'm going to balance your pessimism with optimism. <laughs> Even though we're both Aquarians, we're both Aquarians. <laughs> the worry about AI I had a really interesting. My missus is a clinical psychologist, right? So I'm telling her about my paranoia about AI and shit. And she's like, thing is, when people are typing on Facebook, the problem with that communication is it's, it's lacking that humanity. There's so many layers to communication. You're just doing one of them. So it's never as good. So AI is replicating that. It's information stored on, on the cloud, you know? That's where it's drawing all its information from. So, of course, you know, I'm not going to get into them AI machine sets off a nuclear thing, you know, like obviously there's yeah, yeah. weird shit that could happen in that. Hopefully there's some kind of safety mechanism against the AI triggering a, the nuclear button. But but that's obviously the worst. That Essentially, you know, the, these kids that might be using AI to do their essay, and yeah. it's going to be very few steps to decode the fact that they've used it because there'll yeah. be a lack of uh, organic. There'll be a lack of organic. Yeah. No, this is her there'll argument. Be no, there'll be no Always. mistakes. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. because it's a different... Dude, we yeah. take out the, the levels of humanness that we don't even understand. And let's yeah. not forget our power... Because the flip side of what you're saying is you're saying go home and make a change. What I'm thinking is tap into the energy you know you have if you've got no fucking energy try and work on that but there is a, a a unique force inside of each of us and the only thing we need is availability to access that and if we're constantly concerned with all the shit going on around that can block it there's loads of blocks but essentially i sure. I, I translated what you were saying is well what can i do and also remember that we act on the micro so my effect on a few, I, I'm a funny fucker, but I don't want to be a stand-up comic. Yeah. I don't want to do it perfect, but yeah. I make people laugh daily. But that that's because that's great and fun. And I appreciate the micro levels of that energy. So there's loads of things like that. And, yeah. and what I translated you saying is when you say go home and make a change, I say go home and look inside what, what, what you are and what you can give. And yeah. that, that's, that's the, the catalyst yeah. to change. And don't sure. get downhearted by all the shit yeah. that's going on because I think that the, the, the dark versus light, if you see something that's dark, the light is always more powerful. And we could circle right around to you walking into an ANC meeting with the right vibe and not needing yeah. to say anything. Dude, let's <laughs> end it. Dude, dude, Good. dude. Th Thank you, Brett. Thank you, bra. It's astounding. Dude, this is an astounding conversation. I've done seven. This is the seventh one I've done. I'm astounded by the conversation, the, the ground we've covered. Thanks for just bringing it, man. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing what you do, bro. It's great to see you still soldiering forward, you know? And we'll put all your links in the show notes. Please. And let me know. All right.
Some people are confused about the current situation that engulfs my soul and disturbs my imagination. They see beauty, which only runs skin deep. Not the anxiety brought on when we try to go to sleep. Cause on a nighttime, man, the battle is to stay alive. And there are jungle stalkers when any car you drive. And if they break into your house, you better run and hide. Or fire, fire, or fire powers, you battle to stay alive. Cause in my jungle, there's no peace after dark. When people rush to get home before the guard dogs bark. If you're rich, you get on response and put them an electric fence. And if you're poor, you have bare hands. Your only defense And people's lights are put out for a measly hundred rand And now there's blood on the boy's hands even though it wasn't planned There's a woman sharp pregnant who now can't stand And I tried leaving the pain behind but I love my land Cause mama, I only said I'd be gone for a short while And mama, every day I miss your smile Don't be listening So let me tell you this, it's a little bit complicated but there was a time in my land when everyone was hated and we were manipulated by this big fat military machine a big fat machine that ran on hate and fed on screaming embryotic separation between identity and laughter was a legacy of pain and we narrowly missed disaster but then came out the sun, the freedom fighters won and for a little time we all had a lot of fun but man, those days are quickly forgotten Now while one child starves next door another spoiled rotten When you live in a tin shack but you can't afford a tin of food It's bound to make you act just a little bit crude and rude But we're a tough nation and we will not break But you need to do a crime and poverty for our future's sake If you think what I'm saying all sounds fake Then why one year all the ducks eating in Zoo Lake? Cause mama, mama, I only said I'd be gone for a short while And mama, Please consider leaving us a five-star rating. And if you want to help other people find the podcast, you can leave a review. Only takes 20, 30 seconds. That would be lovely. See you next time.